اعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم الحمد لله رب العالمین وصلی الله علی سیدنا محمد و آله الطاهرین اللهم صل علی محمد و آل محمد برس نمبر 103 ثم بعثنا من بعدهم موسى بآیاتنا الى فرعون و ملائه فظلموا بها فانظر كيف كان عاقبه المفسدين then after them we sent moses with our signs to pharaoh and his elites but they wronged them so observe how was the fate of the agents of corruption ثم بعثنا then after them of course refers to Uh, the five previous nations which were discussed here in Surah A'raf and we talked about them in details and after of course mentioning all their stories Allah says that after all that we sent Musa to Fir'aun now uh, there is one very uh, delicate point here and that means that is uh, all these prophets who were sent to specific nations Allah regards them as a continuous chain which have come to humanity as a whole because then it says then we sent Musa to Pharaoh meaning that all these prophets had come to humanity as a whole and Musa going to Pharaoh as well has come to humanity as a whole they are actually treasures of human race which have come one after another although they have spoken to different nations however the whole humanity should take lesson from them of course specifically moses who was an, uh, a prophet who was ulul azm or prophets of resolve uh, musa was sent bi ayatina and these ayats signs were of course the two very clear miracles he was given the uh, the, the, the stuff which uh, was uh, turned into a serpent and also the shining hand that he had these were the ayats with with which he went to fir'auna wa mala'ih so it was not only to fir'aun to fir'aun and his elite we have discussed about mala' before mala' are those who are usually in authority people of uh, Uh, great wealth and power around the uh, the main authority of every uh, every society Pharaoh was the titer of uh, the kings in Egypt after of course uh, a certain period apparently the first king which was given the title Pharaoh was the The, the king at the time of Musa alayhi salam which is probably probably uh, Ramses the second who uh, we who about whom we have heard a lot in the history and in uh, in Coptic language in Egyptian language Pharaoh means big house and uh, after Ramses the second uh built the big palace which was quite unprecedented his palace had about 4000 rooms uh, apart from uh, 
parlors and halls and such things, and it could accommodate several thousand people uh, inside it. And this was a sort of amazing palace. And therefore, after that, whoever wanted to, uh, to allude to Ramses or to talk about him, they said the big house as, as a matter of respect, not naming him, but naming the place that he had built, and therefore he was uh, called Pharaoh. And after that, every king of Egypt was called Pharaoh. And this is, of course, the first Pharaoh in Egypt who was called by this title. Uh, if you have noticed, uh, at the time of Yusuf, the king is not called Pharaoh. And in Surah Yusuf, uh, the, the king is alluded to as Malik. But from the time of Musa, they were called Pharaoh. So, ثم بعثنا من بعدهم موسى بآياتنا إلى فرعون وملائه فظلموا بها and they wronged them they wronged our ayat now ظلموا بها means كفروا بها they rejected it however because these ayat were a favor to to فرعون and to the uh, uh, to the ملأ by rejecting it actually they wronged these favors and they wrong themselves by rejecting the ayat. That's why the term Zalamu biha is used. Fanzur Mufsidin. Now look, because the story is being told, now look what was the eventual destiny of uh, the agents of corruption, Aqibatul Mufsidin. And corruption usually uh, has a spiritual aspect and a, a a social aspect uh, in the Quran. The spiritual aspect was that, of course, they denied the lordship of Allah. They regarded themselves to be uh, to be lords, as Pharaoh did, and of course, socially, uh, as it's mentioned in other surahs, in Pharaoh ala fil ard wa jala ahlha shi'an in Surah Qasas, yastadif ta'ifatan minhum. يُذَبِّهُ عَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَيَسْتَحِي نِسَاءَهُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُفْسِدِينَ He was an agent of corruption by dividing people, uh, giving power to one, and wronging and oppressing the other. This was the ifsad and corruption that Pharaoh was doing socially. And there was a corruption spiritually that he regarded himself to be the Lord and not worshipping God and asking people to worship him. So... Fandur, now look what happened to the agents of corruption, giving us the lesson that if you want to avoid this sort of destiny, you shouldn't be corrupt and you should not follow the agents of corruption. The details of this story is as follows. وَقَالَ مُوسَى يَا فَرْعَوْنُ إِنِّي رَسُولُ مِنْ الْعَالَمِينَ Musa said, O Pharaoh, I am the messenger of the Lord of all the worlds. Now, we have discussed about Rabbul Alameen before. Why he uses this term? Because they used to reject the concept of Rabbul Alameen, one Lord for every, every universe, so to speak, for every uh, favor that the, the nature and the universe gives us. They regarded 
for each favor there is one lord for example the lord of waters the lord of uh, of, of harvest and uh, and other things that they counted uh, innumerably so here of course Musa is bringing the concept that there is one lord for all these things inni rasulun rabbil alamin and if you remember we said that this was the concept that they rejected and the first thing that Musa was questioned about by Pharaoh was that waqala fir'awnu wa ma rabbul alamin what is rabbul alamin not that who is rabbul alamin what is rabbul alamin we don't know such a concept so Musa when coming to Pharaoh he said inni rasulun mir rabbil alamin of course uh, we have uh, somehow miss the context in which Musa went to Pharaoh and talked to him. Uh, if we can just bring to our minds that Musa was a fugitive. He had escaped and ran away from Pharaoh. And now he has come back, not as a prince, just as a shepherd who, who is uh, uh, divested of all sorts of privileges, he even doesn't have a proper clothing. When he comes in, everyone laughs at him. He was not given permission to visit Pharaoh as we have in Hadith for several weeks. He was just waiting on his door to come in. And after he was given the permission to come in, because of course Pharaoh was told that this is the Musa, the prince you had actually uh, raised uh, uh, from from nothingness, and he has come back to you now. Uh, and when he went in with his brother, of course, they, they were in attire of shepherds and uh, very uh, sort of uh, the attire of the t- downtrodden uh, layer of the society. When he comes to Pharaoh and says, I am messenger of the Lord, and I instruct you to do something, you can imagine how, of course, funny it looked for Pharaoh and for his mala'. There is one uh, very beautiful uh, description of this uh, in Nahjul Balagha, in Khutbatul Qasi'ah, Khutbat Sermon number 192, when Amir al describes this first encounter of Musa with Pharaoh, he says that, وَلَقَدْ دَخَلَ Musa ibn Imran wa ma'ahu akhahu Harun alayhimu salam ala Fir'aun they entered and uh, went to Fir'aun wa alayhima madar usuf they had gowns of wool of course the, the type of wool which uh, uh, was usually worn by shepherds wa ba'aydihima Asi, and they had staff of shepherds in their hand. Fasharata lahu in aslama baqa'a mulkahi wa dawama izzah. And they said, if you submit and surrender to us, we guarantee for you the continuation of your kingdom. And you can, of course, imagine how this looked odd for Pharaoh. Some people like them talking to him like that. Fasharata lahu. إن أسلم بقاء ملكه ودوام عزه. And there's one other interesting uh, thing here, and that is they didn't want to take the power from Pharaoh. They just said, if you surrender, if you believe in God, you will be the king, you will be the Pharaoh. 
we will just be the preachers here. فقال, and then he said, ألا تعجبون من هذين? I mean, just mocking them and deriding them. Uh, isn't this amazing? Isn't this funny? من هذين يشرطان لي دوام العز وبقاء الملك. They are actually guaranteeing for me the continuation of my power and my dignity. وهما بما ترون من حال الفقر والذل. And you see how poor and down Trodden are they? فَهَلَّا أُلْقِيَ عَلَيْهِمَا أَسَاوِرَ مِنْ ذَهَبٍ إِذَامًا لِلذَّهَبِ وَجَمْعِهِ وَاحْتِقَارًا لِلسُّوفِ وَلَبْسِهِ So if they are messengers, if they are like us, why don't they have bracelets of gold? And the thing which usually the kings used to wear, and Amir al-Rumin says this is how gold was so valuable in his eyes, and these woolen clothes were so uh, uh, without any value uh, in his eyes. So this was the the, the, the type of encounter. وَقَالَ مُوسَى يَا فِرْعَوْنُ إِنِّي رَسُولٌ مِنْ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ حَقِيقٌ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا أَقُولَىٰ عَلَىٰ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْحَقِ It behooves me to say nothing about Allah except the truth. Now, why does he say this? It behooves me to say nothing about Allah except the truth. حَقِيقٌ عَلَيَّ أَلَّا أَقُولَ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْحَقِّ Now, the exegetes have uh, elaborated on this and have uh, mentioned different opinions. One is that because I'm a messenger, I never say anything but the truth about, about God. I do not, of course, slander any... Uh, any lies, fabricate any lies against him. I do not say anything about God which people talk about, about which, of course, they have no knowledge. However, one other uh, meaning which comes to mind is that Musa has come back to Pharaoh after all his army were after him to find him and to bring him to the court to, to try him. Now, after all these years, after he had somehow developed some wealth in uh, uh, in, in Madian with Shu'ayb, now he has brought all, all his family back. He has come to Pharaoh on his own feet. He has uh, nothing, of course, uh, uh, in Egypt. All his wealth is uh, is back in. Uh, in Madian, or he has left, of course, uh, a history back there. Now that he has come, he knows that Pharaoh may kill him. He knows that all the, cop, uh, the, the, the people of Egypt, not the Banu Israel, the people of Egypt, the cops, they are against him. While he has come in this position, he says that, why should I come and say something, lie? against Allah. Why should I fabricate a lie against him, knowing that I'm in danger here? This is another meaning which we can uh, uh, imagine about حَقِيقٌ عَلَيَّ This is one, one, one argument that why I am a messenger from Allah. That I have come to you knowing that you may kill me. I have come to you knowing that I am in danger. So why should I try to 
to fabricate a lie. Haqiqun Allah Allah illa This is one of his arguments. The second argument that he makes is I have brought you a clear sign from your Lord. And that clear sign, of course, was the miracle, were the miracles that he had to show them. Now, what he's asking him is not even for him to surrender because he knew that he wouldn't. Of course, he is told one, of, one part of his mission is that call Pharaoh to, to me. Allah is telling call Pharaoh to me. He's the one I have created. He's the one I have uh, nourished. He's the one I have sustained. And call, himself, call him back to me. If he wants to come back to me, very well, I accept him. If he doesn't come, leave him. Your main mission is to take Banu Israel out of misery. And that's why in in other parts in the Quran, we have, for example, it says, اذهب إلى فرعون in Surah Nazaat, اذهب إلى فرعون إنه تغى. Go to Pharaoh, he has rebelled. فقل هل لك إلى أن تزكى. Do you want to tell him? Do you want to be purified? وأهديك إلى ربك فتخشى. Do you want me to guide you to your Lord and you find humbleness in your heart? And he showed him that big miracle that we had given him. He denied, rejected, and uh, rebelled again. So he, he was called towards the Lord. And especially in a very interesting and uh, uh, very beautiful statement in the Quran, Allah tells Musa and Harun, that when you go to Pharaoh and you ask for the release of Banu Israel, do not talk to him uh, impolitely, do not talk to him harshly. He is Pharaoh, he has been arrogant all his life, I know that. Speak to him softly, speak to him humbly, because he is used to that sort of talk. Everyone is humble before him. Everyone speaks softly before him. So you go to him and speak in the same manner. Maybe, maybe by this sort of soft uh, uh, talk and humble statement that you make, he may be reminded and he may have that humbleness in his heart, he may be reminded of God, he may fear, and he may come back. So Allah is not giving up on Pharaoh even after all those years of arrogance and oppression and all these things. Allah is not giving up on him. He tells Musa and Harun, when you speak to him, speak to him as a king. He's a king, he's used to soft sort of uh, talk by other people, he's used to humbleness shown to him, so you show the same humbleness to him. However, he didn't want to, aspect, to accept. And of course, Musa and Harun knew that Pharaoh is not the type of man to, to accept their mission. So what they really asked from Pharaoh, apart from calling him to God, was, okay, if you don't want to listen, if you don't want to uh, to, to, to come to our religion, just release Bani Israel from their misery. So what here is mentioned is not the faith 
in them. They do not ask Pharaoh to have faith in them because this was not the initial mission, the, the main mission. The main mission was to bring Banu Israel out of misery. So three things he says here. First of all, you know that I'm not in a position to fabricate a lie against God, saying that I'm a messenger while I'm not. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been here. Secondly, I have brought you clear signs that I am messenger. Now, if you don't want to, to, to have faith in me, no problem. Send Banu Israel with me. I want to take them out of this misery. I want to take them out of Egypt and take them to their promised land. Now, Banu Israel, of course, why Banu Israel were here in the first place? Because at the time of Yusuf, when he was, uh, he was the treasurer of the king here in Egypt, he was highly respected. He actually converted the king to monotheism, and that's why the king at the time of Pharaoh was killed, at the time of Yusuf, alayhi salam, was killed in young age because he converted to monotheism and all those priests of the old religion, they could not bear him, they conspired against him and they killed him. But despite all that, amongst all people of Egypt, Musa was a respectful and a very reputed person, even after, even at the time of her own. Even now, Musa, Yusuf, was a very reputed, reputable person. He was respected by everyone. If Yusuf was mentioned, no one disrespected him because it had become a tradition in Egypt. And that's why when Mu'min uh, Ali uh, Fir'aun, who was the cousin of Fir'aun himself, he, was, uh, he, he argues with them in Surah Mu'min, in Surah chapter number 40, when he talks about Yusuf, we, we understand that no one disrespected Yusuf. When he's defending Musa and his mission, he says, Now, there are two things here which are... Uh, understood from, from, from the, this statement. First of all, everyone in Egypt believed that Yusuf was a messenger of God, even at the time of Pharaoh. As he says that when he passed away, you said that, okay, he was a messenger, no messenger would come after him. This was the great respect that they had for him. And secondly, although they said he was a messenger of God, but they were in doubt about him, and that's why they did not abandon their old religion. And because, of course, one of their lords, the king, of course, the king was a lord, according to, uh, to traditional religion, one of their lords had respected Yusuf and had believed in him. They all believed in him and respected him without believing in his message. So you, you said that after Yusuf, no one will be... Uh, will be sent to you as a messenger. Now, when Yusuf was uh, uh, in Egypt, and of course he was so uh, so much respected by by the king, the king told him, "Bring all your family over here." And that's why his brothers, 
came over, as we have in Surah Yusuf, they came from Canaan, Yaqub, his mother as well, his brothers, all their families, they all came to Egypt. And uh, the king told him, choose whichever place you plot of land or uh, whichever quarter of uh, Memphis, which was the capital, you would like to accommodate your people there. And there was a very uh, uh, harvestable and very nice area in the north of the city called Gushin. And he actually accommodated Banu Israel, his family there. And of course, they, they grew. They grew in number. They grew in wealth. They grew in power. They grew in industry. Everything gradually, because they are very clever people, uh, gradually they actually uh, occupied all uh, important positions in Egypt. And uh, I don't know, we don't know what happened. We don't know why or what, how they were behaving in Egypt. That's at the time of this Pharaoh or this king who called himself Pharaoh, he suddenly said that these people are actually taking everything from us. And up till now, for about 400 years, they have lived here as our guests, and we have been good hosts for them. Now it's the time that they have to pay back. And I declare all of them as slaves and confiscate all their properties and everything. So they became enslaved by Pharaoh, and of course in a very, very harsh and difficult manner. They were treated in a way to take revenge for all those years that they thought that they are uh, the, the people of higher sort of race and higher uh, abilities and, uh, and capabilities. So, Banu Israel were taken to be slaves at the time of this pharaoh, they were oppressed, and this pharaoh actually reigned long time, for a long time. Uh, of course, it is uh, it is mentioned in the history that it was Ramses who enslaved them. However, uh, the the way the Quran speaks shows that it was for a long time that they were oppressed. So probably the kings before Ramses enslaved them took their property and asked them to do very difficult jobs without any payment. And uh, uh, they were actually awaiting a savior to come, exactly in the same way that now we are awaiting a savior. At that time, they were awaiting a savior to come and save them. They were telling their children that keep your faith, a savior will come. When he comes, he has such and such features, and he will save you. And the features were all for Musa alayhi salam. And uh, uh, the people of Egypt, like Pharaoh, who had the dream, they all knew that someone is coming to bring about a change. However, they didn't know that it comes in this way, that that savior will be raised, will be brought up in the house of Pharaoh, and then he would, of course, have to run away from them, escape, and come back in this sort of manner. So, here, the main mission of uh, Musa, which is uh, mentioned in the Quran, 
he states it to Pharaoh very clearly, is that release Banu Israel, I have come to save them. فَأَرْسِلْ مَعْيَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ now, what Pharaoh says, Qala, of course, he, this, this is a very summary. There was long conversation between them, as in Surah Shu'ara. Qala, alam walida. Is this the way you are uh, actually retaliating, uh, giving back all my favors to you? Now you have come asking for Banu Israel instead of coming and helping me. Qala, alam walida. Didn't we raise you here when you was a baby, when you were a baby, alam nurabbika fina walida, walabista fina min umuraka sinin. For long years, you stayed with us. We, uh, we brought you up until about 18, 20 years. He was in the palace as a prince, respected. Walabista fina min umuraka sinin. Wafa'alta fa'alataka allati fa'al. And then you did what you did by killing my officer. وَكُنْتَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ And you were ungrateful. You were highly ungrateful to, to me. And of course the conversation goes on until Pharaoh says, قَالَ فَرْعَوْنُ وَمَا رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ What is Rabbul Alamin that you claim you are a messenger of, of that? However, here of course the whole conversation is called short. قَالَ إِنْ كُنْتَ جِئْتَ بِآيَةٍ فَأْتِ بِهَا in kunta min as-sadiqin. He said, if you have brought a sign, because he says, قَدْ جِئْتُكُمْ بِبَيِّنَةٍ And bayyina means ayah, ayah means miracle. قَالَ إِن كُنْتَ جِئْتَ بِآيَةٍ فَأْتِ بِهَا إِن كُنْتَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ If you have brought any sign, produce it, should you be truthful. And that means, of course, Pharaoh did not actually dare to reject Musa outright said okay maybe he's truthful especially coming back uh, knowing that he's in danger buying all that danger for himself so he said what is your clear sign show it to me thereat he threw down his staff and behold it became a manifest python a big serpent serpent and apparently this asa this stuff uh, according to the situation depending on the situation became a huge serpent or just a small snake because uh, when Allah told him on, on the Mount Sinai to, to drop it. He threw it and it became a snake. A small snake. And Musa was afraid. Here, of course, it became مبين, a huge serpent. And he drew out his hand from, uh, from his side like this. And it was white to the onlookers. It, it, his hands became shining to the extent that it overwhelmed the sunshine. And it was a big miracle, of course. So these are the two miracles that he was given on the Mount Sinai by uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We can, of course, expect the reaction of her own and his mala, the arrogant people always they don't want to accept the truth now these two clear signs have come because they do not want to accept 
the truth, what they say, they say that this is magic. And uh, as I said before, if you do not accept the logic, if you do not submit to the logic of the prophets, you do not submit to their miracles even. Although the miracles are to support the hujjah, to support the argument or the logic, however, usually people, the believers, accept the logic without asking for a miracle. It's only those who reject the logic who ask for a miracle. And we see that all these uh, uh, arrogant people, they rejected what they saw as clear signs. And nowadays people... Uh, think that if, for example, at our own time, Allah would show a miracle to everyone, everyone would succumb and, uh, and submit to him, this is not the case. They, they can actually make lots and lots of explanations to do away with that acceptance. So, فماذا تأمرون؟ قالوا أرجح وأخاه وأرسل في المدائن خاشرين يأتوك بكل ساهر عليم. The elite of Pharaoh's people said, this is indeed an expert magician. He seeks to expel you from your land. This was, of course, a slander. This was an allegation. He never wanted. This is how they actually made the propaganda against Musa. And uh, it's very interesting. The same thing always happens. You see, Musa never said, you should go out of this land and we have to live here. He said, let me take Banu Israel out. But the way they pretended it to be to the people, to the general public, that he wants to expel you from your land. Who seeks to expel you from your land. So what do you advise? They said, put him and his brother off for a while and send heralds to the cities. Now, one thing that uh, we would like to, to discuss in our next session is here in Surah Araf, it is reported by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the, the whole event is that the elites of Pharaoh's people said this is an expert magician now in Surah Shu'ara it is reported in this way Pharaoh said to his, to his elite that this is an expert magician so there seems a discrepancy here. In Surah Shu'ara it says, Pharaoh said to his mala' that this is an expert magician. Here it says the mala' from Qawm Pharaoh said that this is an expert magician. And there is a very delicate point here that inshallah we will discuss in our next session and uh, about the, the, the other statements which are made here. Uh, inshallah, we will discuss later. Wasallallahu ala Muhammadin wa alihi tahirin. Thank you much indeed, uh, Sheikh. Brothers and sisters, now the floor is open. Anybody?
seeing probably that they are very successful, as you said, and they want this uh, sort of racial uh, blood moved in them that, well, they are Banu Israel, we are cops, we are the original uh, owners of these lands. However, the Quran mentions that Pharaoh initially did this, made the initiative, did oppress them, and uh, how long they were in this oppression, we don't know. But whether there was an, a general uprising or not, apparently uh, there was an uh, uprising, but there was an acceptance. When Pharaoh decided to do that, there was an acceptance among the people. Related to modern day history, I mean, when uh, this episode occurred in Uganda, when Idi Amin had the intention of throwing the Asians out, the locals supported him because yeah. they could see the exploitation that had occurred mm. before. Um, but also just bringing it into modern context, um, if, if, if a tribe has moved to another land and has taken over and is being successful, um, the current strategy seems to be that you have external support as well, even if it's a distant away, in the event that there is um, uh, um, uh, a revolt against you, you have built some friends. Mm. There was no evidence of that, was that so Bani Israel didn't have sort of Roman Empire or the Persian Empire or anyone else in their favor to try and support them. Was there, was there anything historical? No, because Banu Israel were actually uh, a small people with very, very limited resources. Uh, they had come from Canaan as shepherds. They didn't have anything, and I, I, I don't think they were noticeable at all to any to any king or any country. Therefore, they didn't have any support, and that's why so easily they could be overwhelmed in Egypt. Yeah, Sheikh. I mean, continuing from Nizar's uh, inquiry or concern, I mean, he, he gave the uh, example of. Uh, uh, Ugandan Asians, or if, if you expand that, and uh, East African Asians, they, they, they themselves actually worked hard. I don't think they got external kind of support or capital to establish themselves. They actually worked themselves hard to establish and then build up. No, that probably became gradual <laughs> over the time. But as, as the settlement, they settled themselves, worked hard. Because they were intelligent and tradesmen and so on, also. Thanks. Any other brothers, sisters? Sheikh, uh, is this the only example where uh, Prophet Musa 
comes to save a community, or is there any other example where specifically a prophet goes to a community to sort of get them out of that uh, situation? And then I, I try to relate that. Is our, because now the gap between the Prophet Muhammad and Imam Zamana is going to be the longest. So are we going to go through similar situation and then the, uh, the Imam will appear to relieve us from that oppression and hardship? Well, of course, if by us you mean Muslims, Muslims form about one fourth of the world population. So they cannot be regarded as a small group like when Israel were at a time. And uh, uh, I don't think situations would be similar anyhow. Uh, however, uh, yes, we can always imagine a group of mu'minun who are wronged and oppressed by the majority. And by majority, I don't mean only non-Muslims. Even Muslims would oppress the mu'minun from among themselves. And uh, the, the idea of uh, a savior is that he should come and save those believers who are always wronged and oppressed. If that is what is meant, yes, of course, he would do that. But if you mean Muslims as a whole, Muslims as a whole, as a whole are not a monolithic sort of, and do not have a monolithic entity. There are oppressors among Muslims, there are oppressed among Muslims. So we, we have not to think in terms of names as such. We have to believe in terms of, to, 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 to think in terms of true believers and those who pretend to be believers, those who are named Muslims, but they, they do things which are not Islamic. Well, yes, in my mind, I had a whole Muslim community, but that your answer makes more sense, obviously. And the, the, this, although the first, you, you answered my second part, but the first part was that, was that the only example that we find about Hazrat Musa? In the Quran, you mean? Well, uh, in the Quran or in the history where yeah. the, the Prophet himself actually goes to, to save the whole community, or the oppressed. Uh, no, you see, this is a very, of course, uh, distinct example because here we have a community which is divided. One group is quite a, an alien sort of community which is oppressed with its own religion, its own faith, and the other group is, although it's called as well to, to the message, however, the main purpose is to release these people, to give them relief from that oppression. And that's why, I, as I said, prophets usually don't go to authorities, don't go to kings. They go to people and call them, and from them the, uh, a sort of movement starts. Here, Musa goes straight to Pharaoh because he is the one who has the power to release Banu Israel. So this is a very distinct example. Even the prophet, when he went to Quraysh, of course there were uh, not this sort of division. There wasn't this sort of this division among people so that one group was called to, uh, to God and the other group was told to release those who were, or to, to not oppress them. Everyone was called equally to God because there were, that was a sort of monolithic society. Thanks. Uh, any sisters before we come to brothers? No? Okay.
Assalamualaikum. Uh, you mentioned that when Prophet uh, Musa came to Firon, the Firon did not reject him outrightly, but he referred it to the Mullah and said, what do we do with uh, this situation? Uh, why did he do it that way? Why did he approach it this way? Hazrat uh, Musa had come to him when he was uh, sort of, uh, he, he had the position of a prince, then he went away and he came back in the position of a shepherd without any uh, anything behind him. Uh, was it because uh, uh, Firhan knew him as a child, he grew up and he knew his personality and that is why he did not reject him outrightly or because he had some other following maybe behind him or what was the reason for him no, not rejecting him outrightly? They were not afraid of the following. Banu Israel were a small number of people. They could crush them very easily. So they were not afraid of them. What they were afraid of were those signs, the, the two signs that Musa showed them. That terrified them, actually. And they had to rethink what they wanted to do, thinking that this comes, if this comes from a higher power, what? So they were frightened by those signs, although they, do not, they did not want to believe, as we will see in the, in the story later on, it became quite clear to them that they were not magic. However, they did not want to believe. What made them to, to somehow uh, hesitate was that if Musa has such a power, is it the case that he may have the power to destroy them or not? That was uh, the only reason uh, they, they hesitated and they somehow prolonged their argument and discussion with, with Musa. Otherwise, they would have killed him outrightly. What was the religion of Banu Israel before Musa? Uh, well, they were, of course, on the religion of Ibrahim and Yaqub. And uh, it was the religion of Tawheed. However, while they were in Egypt, they had started to worship some of the gods of, uh, of uh, the Coptic people as well. And uh, of course, one of the main missions of Musa was to teach them that you have to go back to the religion of your forefathers, religion of Ibrahim and Yaqub and Ishaq. Okay, any sisters before we come to brothers? Okay, Riaz. Thank you very much for your lecture. Sheikh, I don't have a question as such, but I've got a couple of comments which I hope that you will expand on. The first is how remarkable and wonderful is the mercy and compassion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for somebody like Fir'an, who is known as the impaler, his, perf his preferred way of killing people was to put them on a stake through their heart. To have somebody like that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still gives him every chance mm. and every opportunity to come back to God. So that's just incredible. Mm. The second is, again, a powerful message and hopefully something for us to learn and modify our behavior, that even when Musa 
is empowered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go before him and invite him back towards God. He has got the whole power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind him. Yet he is asked to go to Fir'aun in humility mm. and speak to him in a position of negotiation rather than demanding that he should submit. This is really something for us to learn. Even the people who oppress us, mm. we should be dealing with them in a particular way, which is the preferred way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, well, that was quite clear. I don't think there is anything I can expand on. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Riaz. Uh, any brothers, sisters, anybody? Oh, Riaz, you just come. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Going back to this group, I mean, um, I know it's a difficult question I'm asking, but do you have any knowledge whether there were distinguishable members of the community during those 400 years? For example, um, um, skin color was it the same? Facial features would they be distinguishable? Do they have their do they live in their own ghettos? Do they have their own uh, churches? Do they dress differently? Do they eat differently? Or do they try to assimilate within the community? Uh, just lessons to learn. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the first thing is that uh, they boasted of their forefathers, certainly. Ibrahim and Yaqub and Ishaq. And they had their own religion, their own uh, rituals. And... Uh, probably they regarded the Copts who were non-believers as a, a, a lower sort of people. Uh, and uh, they actually uh, possessed high positions. As we have, for example, father of Musa was working in the treasury because they, they were quite educated. And they learned very quickly they learned the magic very quickly from Egyptians, so to speak, and that's why the, the, the magic afterwards was, uh, the, the, the black magic was a science which was learned from Jews mostly after, after they came out of Egypt because they learned it very nicely and very quickly. And uh, uh, you can imagine, I mean, a community of believers who had a very... Uh, uh, clear tradition of their religion, prophets, and all these things, and also having the idea of a savior to come, they would uh, somehow treat the others as being second-class human beings. And uh, although they were the host community, however, they didn't have that uh, uh, position with Allah as they had. You can imagine all these things. However, because this is a very, very long, uh, uh, very old history, it's very difficult to 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 put up together how they they behave with the Coptic people. But there's no question that they found very high uh, position in in the court, in industry and uh, also in economy. I mean, just the example of Qarun, who was the cousin of Musa, is enough for us to know what sort of wealth they had accumulated. I mean, it was unimaginable for Egyptians to see that sort of wealth. 
which somehow equated the wealth of her own himself, or maybe ex excelled the wealth of her own in some cases. Of course, her own had power, but that sort of wealth that Quran describes about Qarun, uh, that uh, we had given him so much treasures that even carrying the keys of those treasures was difficult for a huge number of strong men. That sort of wealth, and he actually had retained that even after Banu Israel were enslaved. How, what was his relation with Pharaoh? Why he was given that sort of exceptional position after enslavement of Banu Israel? These are the things that we can investigate in history. Okay, any sisters, brothers? Sheikh, talking about the religious practices, uh, we know the, the last prophet when he was uh, doing ibadah of Allah, he was actually prostrating. The, were the other prophets, because we don't see in the history or the practice continuing by the followers, that were the other prophets actually prostrating while they were doing some kind of ibadah to Allah, or they were standing, or yeah, apparently they, this prostration was something in in all religions with all prophets. And about the prophets, of course, the Quran very clearly says that uh, they they used to prostrate to Allah. We may, of course, say this prostration was not uh, uh, physical in shape; it was a spiritual in heart, but. Uh, why should we take it that way? Prostration is uh, uh, is the most manifest form of ibadah or worship, showing humility and humbleness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And about Jesus, we have that idea of prostration. About the line of prophets, uh, in Surah Maryam, he says, إِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُ الرَّحْمَانِ خَرُّوا سُجَّدًا Kharru means went down in prostration. And so went down in prostration means, of course, the same sort of things that we do about all the prophets. And uh, I, ha I read somewhere that still there are some Christian uh, denominations, which are, of course, not living in the West, who have this uh, habit of prostration to God. So uh, probably, yes, they were all... Of course, especially the prophets and their close followers had this habit of prostration. So it means that the majority of the followers have abandoned that kind of uh, practice. Mm. Thank you. Any other sisters, brothers? No? Thank you. Muhammad Wa Ali Muhammad.